in my eyes, my ability to create the things that I have over the last couple of years has really been a function of wiping some of those storylines clean and just starting to work at things slowly and and being curious about what you know I might want to work on and not just like following one single path. Hey, friend, it's David Davinsky here in New York City. What are you optimizing for? What are you optimizing for when you think about taking on projects and working? When you are working, how are you designing your day? How are you thinking about building your career and your learning journey? Today's guest was Steph Smith. We focus on these topics in great detail. I had the honor of talking to her about some of her online writing that has reached over 300,000 people. We talk about the importance and the superpower that publicly sharing high-quality content can have. It's also how Steph got her current job, and she talks about her journey from leaving working at a consulting job and having a two-hour commute, which is how she then started redesigning her life. Um, She taught herself how to learn how to code in less than a year and has developed many projects on her own, and one of which was number one in Product Hunt. Steph's insights shared here and through her writing are truly unique, and I'm so excited for you to learn more about and thinking about different perspectives around habits, continuous growth, building projects while also still working, and some different frameworks on just viewing your life. So really excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available at my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can also subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Steph. Cool. Um, So Steph, if uh, we were to go to an event tonight, how do you uh, typically introduce yourself? Steph, Stephanie. I would just say, hey, I'm Steph. (laughs) I don't know um, how else I would introduce myself. Maybe we could get started with, um, you had a blog post titled, You Don't Need to Quit Your Job to Make. Um, so maybe you could just kind of walk us through a little bit uh, some of the core ideas behind that blog post. Sure. Yeah. So I wrote this blog post sometime last year, early last year. It was one of actually my first um, public blog posts. And I wrote it because at the time, and, and this is still true, I was working full time and I was also starting to create different projects and you know working on my blog as well. And I just felt this sense of where a lot of people feel like they have to quit their job to become an entrepreneur or to really go all in in a project. And there's a sentiment that that needs to happen. And if, if that doesn't happen, then, you know, someone's not serious enough about X, Y, or Z. Um, but I felt this sense of actually mental clarity from having my job and working on these different projects. And I wanted to share my point of view there in order to either inspire someone to also kind of work on projects outside of their their work, their full-time job, um, but also just to really share this concept that life doesn't need to be this like strict dichotomy. You don't need to be an entrepreneur or um, an employee. You can do both, and 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 that permeates through you know different dichotomies that I think a lot of people uh, consider in life. And so, basically, the article talks about the fact that I guess a couple of things. One, when you work full-time and also work on projects on the side. I think that um, economic stability that you get from your job actually in some ways can make you a better entrepreneur in, in that, you know, you're not just optimizing for how much money can I make immediately, but 
um, you have that mental clarity, you have that stability from your job, and therefore you can just think about how do I create value for other people um, instead of capturing it. And then I was also very inspired by some of these ideas from um, one of Adam Grant's books, Originals, um, is what it's called. And basically in the book, he talks about how there's this misconception that a lot of entrepreneurs are these massive risk takers. And if you truly want to be an entrepreneur, you need to also take these very large risks. But he actually uses uh, several stories to prove the fact that that's not always true. And in many cases, it's it's not true at all. And instead of being risk, risk maximizers, a lot of the best or most familiar entrepreneurs are actually what he calls almost like risk minimizers. And so they do take risks, um, but they take calculated risks and they actually kind of orient their lives and their choices around this concept of taking risk when you need to, um, but not just taking risk to take risks. And so he uses several examples like, you know, the, the guys who built Google, they actually finished their PhDs at Stanford. Sarah Blakely, who's the founder of Spanx, she actually, as she was building Spanx, she was going around selling fax machines. Again, um, kind of tying into this concept of them having almost like a fallback. And because they had this fallback, uh, they were able to build these businesses um, with that mental clarity. And so that's the gist of the article, just that I think a lot of people think there's this very common storyline of if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to work on projects, then you need to quit your job or you need to make these, you know, very risky decisions. And I was basically sharing in that article that I, one, don't think that needs to happen. Um, and two, that because I've chosen another route, I've actually found, you know, a lot of positives in in this kind of secondary storyline that a lot of people don't necessarily consider. And can you maybe uh, dive into those secondary benefits a little bit more just to kind of provide a little bit of context for people? Yeah, for sure. So I think um, some of the things that I've found to be very positive about the choices that I've made and being both, you know, full-time employee, but also being an entrepreneur or a writer or many other things is, I guess one, the, the, biggest one is the one that I've mentioned where I feel like I just have this mental clarity where I have a steady job, I have income, and therefore, as I'm building businesses or as I'm choosing to write for my blog, for example, I'm not just orienting around how do I make money as quickly as possible, but really thinking about building businesses or projects that I, one, really enjoy, um, and two, I hope bring some value to people. Um, and again, I'm not just orienting around what will bring me money the quickest. But then there's other b positives, I think, um, in staying in a job while building things. One is just having a balance between two things. If you're full time as an entrepreneur or or only working as an employee, I think you can get sick of those things pretty quickly. You don't really have something to balance between some of your interests. And so I actually really like the fact that for part of my day, I go and I create stuff um, in my full time job. And then outside of that, I'm able to explore some of my other passions like writing, and I'm not having to spend, you know, eight to 10 hours on one single thing every single day uh, without some sort of counterbalance. So I think that's another thing a lot of people miss. And, and one thing that I still think is, is very underrated is if you find yourself in the right job, which I think is, is a decision that many people don't invest a, enough time or, or critical thinking into, if you find yourself in a job that teaches you and helps you grow, that's incredible. You're getting paid to learn from other smart people, and especially early on in your career. And I still consider myself very early on in my career. I'm learning skills that uh, I basically will be able to take into building a business in the future or any future job. And I'm getting paid to do that. I'm literally getting paid to learn. Um, and so I think that's something that 
uh, people should consider instead of just, you know, going straight into entrepreneurship, um, especially early on, if you don't have a concrete set of skills, it's actually pretty incredible that you can get paid to learn from other smart people who have already made mistakes, who have already built up their businesses, and they can teach you how to do it more effectively. So those are some of the things that I talk about in the article um, and some of the things that I still feel very tied to and and feel like I'm benefiting from in kind of choosing to stay in a job and build projects on the side. Mm-hmm. And then, and, you know, and then also uh, your projects are not just any small projects. <laughs> so I think that that's also very useful for people to understand in terms of, you know, the projects that you're building are not just small little, you know, just a random uh, website or anything like that. So uh, I think that that's uh, just to provide some more context to listeners, just so that, you know, the projects that you have built have been, you know, highly recognized and product on in many other places. Um, one, th- one thing that I think I heard you that say that was really interesting there, Steph, was about kind of maximizing learning and, you know, kind of spending time to think about uh, or that people don't spend enough time thinking about the types of jobs that can really allow them to learn uh, and having that be the focus as opposed to call it a title or pay. Did I hear that right, Steph? Yeah, absolutely. So that's something that I actually have learned to pay more attention to over time. And a good example of this is um, I was at I was at a company for three years, and during that three years, I had two positions. The first position was on the growth team, where I I've actually never learned more in in a job other than in that I'd say first year of that position. Um, and then I obviously you know as as most people do, you hit a little bit of a plateau, and then eventually I found myself into a new role where I was leading a large team. And I led that large team for around a year and a half. But I pretty quickly found during that time period that although I was learning leadership skills, the skills outside of what you would call leadership were not really growing in any substantial way. Um, and if, of course, if, if my goal was to just you know become some bigwig executive, um, then maybe that would have been a role to, to continue in for much longer. But I kind of had to take a step back and say, okay, what's more important, this title, this, you know, the ability to lead this team and learn some form of leadership? Or um, what do I really care about more? Is it digital skills? Is it more technical skills? Um, Is it the ability to create projects? Um, And ultimately, I found that those other things that I just mentioned uh, were more important to me. And so I kind of had to take a step back and say, I'd rather focus or I'd rather be in a role that allows me to extend those set of skills versus um, some of those leadership skills in the title. And so even though um, I would admittedly say my ego was pushing against this, I decided to take a step back from leadership and then go back into being an individual contributor um, at or in my current role at The Hustle working on trends. But I guess the, the takeaway there I, in me telling that story is really that I think a lot of people, when they are looking for roles, will focus on some of the more, I guess, shallow aspects of a role, like your title, like perks at a particular company. But really, the best part of a job, if you find yourself in the right job, are the skills that you learn in that first year to couple years in a role. And so when you're actually vetting for for jobs, I think that's what people should pay attention to. Just like asking themselves a question. If I am in this role for a year, how will I come out on the other side? What skills will I have learned in that time period? 
who will I have met? Basically, what position will I be in at the end of that year that would allow me to do X, Y, or Z in the future? Um, and if you find yourself answering the question that like I got paid well, and you know I now have this cool thing on my resume, but I I'm not actually in any more of a formidable position to like go start my own business or to do anything that you want to do in your long term goals, then I would actually say that that's probably not the right role. So to answer your question, I think that people should kind of ask themselves those questions and really focus on the skills that they're able to build in a role versus some of the other things that we tend to draw our attention to. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think it's, you know, cl- clearly job descriptions don't really showcase the, you know, this, they, 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 they say, what skills do you have? Mm-hmm. Uh, and not necessarily what skills will you uh, be able to learn. And it seems, you know, some of my best experiences, A, don't really have a job description. So those are usually ones where I feel like you learn a lot. And, but it's, it's also really interesting to hear you talk about persistent skill kind of acquisition. And, and I know you've got some writing on that. And I think it uh, combines nicely with uh, some of the other work around habits and compounding growth. Mm-hmm. Um, can you maybe speak to that in terms of, you know, people designing their life around, you know, skill development, continuous self-development. What are some what is what are some things that you found that have been really, I guess, eye-opening and and also helpful uh, as you've been kind of redesigning your life over the last uh, year or so? Yeah. So I think in the first couple of years of my career, it was very easy for me to like imagine some title or specific end goal and like, okay, you're going to become this kind of marketer and that's you, right? That's what you're branded as now and into the future. And, and once you've made it to some state in, in that goal, you've, you know, quote unquote made it like you've, you've now branded yourself as something, but especially in the last couple of years, I've found myself um, really getting drawn to many, many different industries, different skills, different positions. And that's why, you know, if you look at my career, it, it hasn't been like a very linear path. But I think that's a function of me, one, being very interested in, in different things, but I don't think I'm unique in that. I think many people are. Um, but two, just like the state of the the world these days, like it's very hard to actually be successful in one thing now because the world is so dynamic and you know, things are moving so quickly that in order for you to really find your place uh, at any given time, it, that'll only last for, you know, a year or two years before the the industry starts changing and you need to keep up. And so something that's been like very influential for me to, to recognize is just that like there is no end state where you're successful or where, you, you know, you, you can finally relax because you have skills. I think the best skill that you can learn these days is just the ability to learn. And that's why I've chosen to learn to code. And that's why I've focused on my writing and all these things that um, will help me in different aspects of my life. Um, And in learning those things, I've just gotten better at learning in general. So when something new comes up, which inevitably it will in the next, you know, couple years or 10 years or whatever, I'll be able to, to learn that very quickly. And I think that's important for anyone in this day and age is just to learn to learn quickly and to also learn to enjoy learning because I think that's when people start to fall behind when they when they really have kind of forgotten how to learn something new and so I think that's especially important for anyone regardless of what industry they're in and if you can focus on that that kind of ties into this concept of like 
forever learning like there's no end goal and in general I think people would be surprised by how much they can learn in just kind of making a habit out of like learning so for example when I learned to code I just made sure that I was tracking how often I was learning and trying as much as possible to spend some time every day Um, and then throughout that time period I was able to learn to code in under a year and that applies to basically any skill set so I think really the takeaways are that people should constantly be learning and focusing not on like learning things overnight but just this like slow iterative process where like your whole life you're learning and again I think people would be surprised by how much they can accomplish with that mindset yeah that's fascinating I think I've definitely had some I think maybe over the probably like the last year and a half, uh, maybe a little bit more, but just like really focusing on learning. And, you know, my initial kind of jobs were in corporate finance and stuff. And just the mindset was not around learning. It was more about the corporate ladder and stuff. And mm-hmm. but yet I, I, you know, learned how to make a podcast. And that to me, that has been such a thrilling experience. And now I think about that a lot more in terms of, you know, going back to your point about skill acquisition. It's like, what else can I learn? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And you mentioned it's, uh, I guess you you kind of talked about it in the beginning in terms of like being the title, so to speak, like just the entrepreneur or uh, the marketer and how some people wrongly put labels kind of externally and internally on themselves on those types of things. But you also mentioned writing and that's how I found out about your work uh, was through writing. And I believe that Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you think that writing is kind of like a superpower? Yeah, in some way. I just think that, so writing, I mistakenly for many years thought, you know, there's writers who are find writing supernatural and there's people who just like can't write. I think writing is one of these things similar to basically any other skill that like with practice you can become very good at and anyone can become very good at. And I do think that being able to write uh, very well is in some ways a superpower because especially in, in our current era where we're basically in this like information economy, you can reach so many people with writing. It's probably the most influential medium where again, you can reach like millions and millions of people if you know how to write effectively, because effectively writing is a tool. It's a tool for communication and So I do think that as people focus on writing, and I do encourage people to do so, they're basically unlocking this power to communicate their thoughts with an incredible amount of people. And when you set out to write, did you did you know that you were going to be, you know, focusing on the current topics that you you focus on now? Not really. So I mean, I I wanted to start a blog for for a long time, and actually didn't for many years because I was under this impression that there was just so much online content out there, which is absolutely true. Um, But the, I guess, misconception that I had was that because there's so much online content out there, that there was basically, like, it was too saturated. There was no more room for someone to come in and have a unique voice. I've now kind of reformatted my view on that in that I think there is an incredible amount of content and too much out there. It's, It's basically a byproduct of the amazing nature of, things being very easy to create now but I think people naturally have the tendency to create shallow content um, because it's just so easy to do so and so what I've now reformatted my thinking around is that there's too much content out there but actually not enough what I would call high quality content Um, so I do think there's a gap 
in, in this ability for people to create really high quality content. Now, to get back to your question, I didn't create my blog for many years because of that. But in early 2019, I had just decided there was a couple topics that I really felt like I, I, I was really knowledgeable about. And I didn't see content out there necessarily that fit the things that I, I wanted to say. And so I did see this gap, this unique gap. I didn't think that it would end up reaching so many people. But I basically just started writing about certain topics that I felt very drawn to. So those topics were and continue to be remote work, personal development in some ways, or this concept of continuous growth, and then some topics around tech or learning to code. But I've tried to stick with topics that, again, I have like a very unique uh, experience with. So I'm not just trying to talk vaguely about, you know, technology as an industry, because there's enough people writing about that. And I'm actually not educated enough to write a unique article that speaks to people in that lens. But as I talk about, you know, someone who's worked remotely for four years and has led remote teams, like there are certain things that I know about that many people don't. And so I've tried to focus on those topics. Um, But to answer your question, I didn't necessarily know exactly how kind of like my topic set would unfold. But over time, I've just tried to stick with things that I, again, have like a unique expertise with and only stuck with those because I think that's kind of lent to my ability to, in theory, at least fill that high quality gap that I see in online content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, Steph, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't, um, I think I may have seen somewhere, but like your current role came or to some extent came about because of your writing or sharing online. Is that is that true? Yeah. Yeah. So while I was in my previous role, um, I got reached out to from Sam, who who's the founder of The Hustle, who I guess he had read my stuff through just like or discovered it through it being shared online. Um, I don't remember the exact instance uh, where he reached out to me, but that really was the exposure he had was through my online content. And that was pretty cool because I guess what's special about going and creating things and then having people reach out to you uh, or you getting opportunities through them is that they can already see like what you care about and, you know, what you like to work on and the fact that you do enjoy working on certain things. And if they resonate with that, you already kind of know that there's a decent fit there because if you're applying coldly to roles on the internet, um, you're going off a job description or, or something that you've heard of vaguely about a particular company. But if Sam reads an article of mine and he resonates with it, we already kind of have that mutual understanding in, in what, you know, the types of companies we care about, the types of things that we like working on and, and almost like a mutual culture. And so that was pretty cool to have someone reach out and to get a, an opportunity through that because there was kind of that mutual understanding. And then it made the actual process of like discussing the role and, and that a lot more uh, streamlined and easy. Yeah, that's amazing, I think. And then also it's like, given that you've also talked about and sh- shown your work about, you know, side projects and the benefits of skill acquisition, that whole, this is who I am and this is how I operate. Like, it, it just sounds like it'd be very seamless yeah, well, I mean, like I was saying, it's it's pretty cool because like it wasn't so Sam had read some of my stuff. I also followed his stuff. And so even though someone's online representation is, is never quite accurate, 
or, or it's not an exact depiction of who they are or what they believe in, it does give you a decent understanding. And so if we already had that mutual understanding, and then like you said, as I was getting started, I felt like I already kind of knew Sam and I was a reader of The Hustle for a long time. And so it was an easier onboarding process versus me entering a company and having like no idea who these people are or what this company stands for. Um, so I definitely think that helped um, in in making those first couple weeks easier. Okay, great. So let's see here. We talked about writing. We talked about uh, making projects, uh, skill development. Another thing I think is uh, in your in, in Asia right now. Another thing I think that is really interesting about how you operate and, and work is even while working at a you know high profile company and a high profile job that you're still able to travel around. I know maybe you don't travel as much as you used to, uh, but maybe kind of talk talk us through how to design a life around um, you know high quality jobs, but also traveling and kind of those either conversations that you have to have with an employer, et cetera. Sure. Um, so yeah, like you said, I don't travel as much as I used to, but I do spend a lot of a lot of time in different places around the world. And I think what's important is that you're you're not just traveling to like check things off your bucket list. And you know, if you are in a role like mine, it's it you're not backpacking, you're not just like hopping around and, and not doing any work. I work full time, and so you do need to orient whatever you're doing with your travels around a serious job and therefore like having some stability, it's it's kind of a, a medium that you have to figure out on your own in some ways. But what I think is important is with remote work in general, I fundamentally believe that uh, anyone who works remotely can do it effectively as long as they're focused on basically impact. And so in my old role and in my current role, um, my employer does not care how many hours I'm working or exactly where I am or exactly what time zone I'm in, uh, as long as I'm actually optimizing for impact and doing a good job. And so I think that's something that, you know, whether you work in an office or you work remotely is important, but it's especially important uh, if you choose to work remotely. And so travel is great, uh, but whether you, you know, are in America or in Asia like myself, it really doesn't matter uh, as long as you're optimizing for impact. And so I think that's something you accustom to over time and almost like figure out how to optimize for that. There are certain like habits and norms that you need to unlearn as you as you travel. But I think just focusing on that, like asking yourself the question, what can I do today that would have like the biggest impact on my company or within my role and doing that versus, you know, doing things like optimizing for FaceTime with your coworkers and stuff like that. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that's kind of what I've learned to do in order to, you know, still be able to travel, but also like ha- make a good impression and hopefully do a good job in the roles that I'm in. Yeah. No, optimizing for impact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And, um, yeah, and you've been kind of working with remote for four years, kind of before remote work kind of became a thing. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I've definitely seen remote work grow a lot over the last couple of years, and I anticipate that it'll continue growing pretty substantially. Um, but it definitely has changed a lot <laughs> in the four years that I've been doing it. Mm-hmm. And it it also seems like it's not necessarily, you know, similar to like being an entrepreneur, it's, 
it's not this, it's just designing the life and around impact learning and not necessarily around like, I don't know. It seems like there's a certain label of remote work and it's just more around, well, how do I want the 24 hours to be? Yeah. If it happens and if it, if it happens to be, you know, remote uh, or that I don't have to go into the job, but yet I'm still able to learn and still able to have an impact. Then if you want to call that remote work, that's fine by me. Yeah. So I think there's, there's two points that I really emphasize when people ask me about remote work. The first one is that a lot of people, especially now that remote work has become more common, are seeking to work remotely. And some subset of those people are seeking it for the wrong reasons. And some of them are seeking it for all the right reasons. And the way that I really differentiate, and I use this, or I used to use this when I was actually hiring for remote people on my team, is that, you know, if you want to work remotely so that you can go and, and chill and <laughs> travel the world and just like work the absolute minimum, that's not the right reason. Working remotely, in my eyes, is just, it's almost like a a way to, as you said, redesign your life. So hopefully you're removing some sort of commute. Hopefully you're actually able to have like absolute flexibility in how you spend your time throughout your day. Um, But working remotely is just optimizing for that. So instead of having 24 hours where um, you're basically allocating exactly eight or 10 or whatever it is hours consecutively for your job and then going home and you know having dinner and then whatever you do in your daily life you're able to actually wipe that slate clean and almost like just start building whatever life you want within those 24 hours so you're redesigning your life on your own terms and so kind of like those two concepts of like redesigning your life and not necessarily trying to do less work, but almost in some cases do more work or learn more skills. I think that's really the underlying way that I perceive remote work. And I think when people perceive it that way, it's actually like almost in every case in that positive, I think remote work can have a negative connotation because there are some people who aren't viewing it in that way, but they're actually just like viewing it in in a way, almost like a, like a, trick or uh an opportunity to do less so anyway that's that's what I would say about like the ability for remote work to really have a, a positive impact if it's approached in that lens okay um love that all right Steph well we talked about talked about a lot of things and I know that there's you know I feel like each one of your articles could just be a podcast episode themselves uh, <laughs> but uh do you think that is there anything else about kind of creating projects, writing, skill development, constant learning, constant change that you think we missed that you could share? Any other kind of big insights or anything like that that um, we might have missed? No, I think we've covered a lot. I think just in general, I think a lot of the things that I write about or a lot of the things that have enabled me to design the life that I have are really underpinned by this concept that like I think as we grow up there are certain norms or uh, habits or storylines that we're told whether it's this concept of overnight success or this concept of of like branding yourself in in one lens or the attempt to like work your way up the corporate ladder like all of these are like storylines that whether we want to admit it or not are like slowly ingrained within us over time 
And I think the way that you really start to unlock some of these these more creative processes or um, or the ability to give yourself space to pursue things that you maybe hadn't considered before are again really underpinned by like wiping some of those things clean and just like approaching things through like a new lens of like maybe stuff doesn't have to be a dichotomy or maybe there really isn't overnight success and maybe if I slowly start to tackle things um, at my own pace then I'll get further than I ever thought or maybe if I like actually work remotely versus not then I'll actually be able to redesign my schedule and who knows where that'll lead so I think it's in my eyes, my ability to create the things that I have over the last couple of years has really been a function of wiping some of those storylines clean and just starting to work at things slowly and and being curious about what you know I might want to work on and not just like following one single path. So yeah, I think in general, if people start to almost like question some of their beliefs, they might find that uh, that'll lead them in pretty positive directions. I love that. That's a perfect way to end, Steph. And uh, please let uh, listeners know where they can um, follow up and support so many of your uh, wonderful efforts. Yeah. So you can find me. My website is stephsmith.io or my blog, uh, which has some of the articles that we've talked about is blog.stephsmith.io. You can also find me on Twitter at, uh, well, my handle there is at stephsmith.io. Awesome. Thank you so much, Steph. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey friend, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Wanted to also let you know about my monthly newsletter called One Email Away, where I fundamentally believe that we are all one email away from new opportunities. And if there's a way that I could potentially help you to connect with other people, I would love to do that. So one email away, um, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. You can also see the one email away section, but just want to take this moment to say thank you for for listening to this episode. Really excited for us to build and grow our portfolio careers together.